G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking about boys today. The church in Australia is, on average, only 40% male. So, that might mean that most people in church are female. Well, a focus today on boys who experience childhood challenges and even trauma on their journey to manhood. Our special guest today says we communicate love, forgiveness and compassion well in churches, but we fail to inspire boys with the adventure, the mission quest and the calling to something bigger than themselves. Author Jason Potter has just released a new book. It's called Josiah. In fact, there was a launch on the weekend. We'll talk about Jason's book in just a few moments. He's written it for both Christian and secular audiences with the hope that non-Christian boys will read the story and be inspired to ask themselves the question, Who is Jesus? Jason Potter has spent the past 30 years in Christian ministry, a youth worker and youth pastor, also in theological education, helping churches design leadership development training programs. He served in a former national leadership role with Samaritan's Purse, wonderful charity ministry, before being appointed the senior pastor at City West Church in Sydney. Now, he's currently the chaplain pastor at Trinity Christian School in Canberra while completing postgraduate study in psychotherapy. I mentioned his new book is called Josiah. Jason Potter, a special welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's great to be with you. Jason, you had a launch on the weekend, and uh, there is a launch, although people looking for a hard copy of your book might have to wait just a couple of weeks, a little bit of a delay there, but people will be able to get a hold of your book uh, uh, via Amazon. It's the Kindle versions available, so yes, you've got something for people to read. That must be quite a relief for you. Yeah, it is. It's um, it's always nice when a project comes to fruition fruition. Uh, you're right, we've had a, um, a bit of a challenge with printed copies like a lot of people do these days with um, COVID and some of the transport and logistics issues there. But uh, the Kindle version is, is out and um, we're, uh, you know, we're very excited about uh, what, um, what this book might do in terms of helping people and, and uh, creating the opportunity for, uh, for thinking through life and where things are headed. So it's not a textbook, it's actually written as a novel. How do you describe the way your book looks when you've got it in hand and you're ready to devour a nice book and, uh, and enjoy a story? Yeah, well, it is a novel. It's, um, it's around 150 pages, so it's a, a reasonable read. Um, the, the story is really the story of a, a young boy, Josiah, who grows up in, in rural South Australia. It's it's based on a true story, but written as a, a work of fiction, and uh, it, it really covers his journey um, of childhood and, and uh, his teenage experiences growing up in, in schools and moving around Australia with his family, and, and 
trying to figure out what life is really all about. Some people will be asking, uh, is this your story, Jason, in the sense of, you know, are you writing the story? And we know that it's a fiction novel, but it's there to explore the challenges that boys face when they're growing up. But is this your story or have you have you brought in a bunch of issues into the life of your main character, Josiah? Well, uh, there are certainly parts of it that are, that are my own story that, that reflect... Uh, some of my history, um, but I've also brought into it stories of uh, people that uh, I've experienced and met with uh, over the course of, of 30 years of ministry who have uh, journeyed some of those tough challenges that um, we face uh, growing up as, as young men in Australia. So it's a bit of a combination of both in some respects, but uh, it's a story that very much resonates with a lot of my own journey. There's been a bit of a reputation in Australia in perhaps recent decades or recent generations, this idea that boys growing up in Australia uh, with as a land of the absent father, is this part of the foundation for some of the things that are going wrong uh, with the development of boys? And uh, just cautious around this idea of things that are going wrong. There's lots of boys who are doing great stuff and uh, boys who've got great role models and developing wonderfully, uh, although, there, of course, there are those who are more vulnerable on the other side. But what about your thoughts on this idea of fatherhood being important for boys? Look, I think fatherhood is actually really critical for boys. And, I mean, motherhood is too. Both parental roles um, have a really significant impact on the development of young men. Uh, One of the things that we find um, as we kind of work around this issue a bit is that uh, young men who grow up through their childhood with uh, an absent father or, or, um, you know, for, for any reason, whether that's a father who's, passed away, a father who's no longer present um, because of marriage breakdown or or whatever the reason might be, Um, they need alternative role models outside of that family system. And our culture doesn't necessarily do a great job of providing alternative role models um, in our everyday culture. You know, some of the role models we have in um, sport or uh, celebrity uh, are not exactly the kind of people you necessarily um, put immediately to mind as great role models, but also in our community too. We, we have uh, lots of men who are struggling and finding life difficult and challenging. And I think whether it's um, fathers in the home, which is obviously, you know, the, the number one uh, option uh, that's going to provide great benefit. Uh, or whether it's male role models around young boys as they grow up, um, you know, the more that we can have of that, uh, the the better um, for the development of young men. There's been challenging times, and while we talk about role models, uh, sporting role models, or people in science and technology, or politicians or whatever, we might shed a thought or two towards role models in church life and and I think you and I know Jason that there are wonderful role models in church life but the reputation of the church 
having been sullied by all sorts of scandalous things, perhaps over these past at least couple of decades, uh, might give some people the image that somehow or other the role models in church are not as good as they ought to be. What are your thoughts around uh, role models in church and uh, the sullied reputation of some of those male role models? Yeah, look, I, I think churches have obviously um, had some of their uh, sins exposed over the last few years, and that's actually a good thing. It's it's a cleansing process to have the things that are done behind the scenes brought to the fore so they can be dealt with, and we can put new systems in place to make sure that we're protecting young people appropriately. So, you know, I think from my from my perspective and my involvement in church life, for many of us, um, whilst it might hurt our reputation externally in the short term, at the end of the day, we want to see uh, church communities be safe places. And so the exposure of those things, whilst painful, um, is not necessarily a bad thing, I think. But one of the, one of the challenges with, um, uh, you know, those kind of church, well, with church environments now is we do see, as you mentioned earlier, a, a, um, uh, a lack of male presence in our congregations, which can have an impact around role models. Yes, we. there is almost a desperation, I think, uh, to see good role models in church. Uh, but the numbers uh, are not showing that there are a big male presence. If you talk about those numbers, and I think they are generalised numbers, uh, 40% yeah. male then 60% female, and you've got this sort of imbalance a little bit there. And uh, and it's not that the ladies are not cheering on the men, but somehow or other there's something missing. How do you pick up on that sort of thing in a story like you've written about the life of young Josiah? Well, I think part of um, what we're, we're kind of missing in the narrative is uh, the adventurous part of... Um, Christian life. I think, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about uh, some of the um, really emotionally transformative parts of Christianity, uh, like, you know, our, our sense of compassion and love and grace and forgiveness for others. And all of those things are, are really central to who we are as Christian people or followers of Jesus. But if you, if you actually read uh, particularly the New Testament, but also the Old Testament, there are grand stories of tremendous uh, passion and, and energy, leaders who transform nations, uh, leaders who um, are involved in, uh, you know, the, the battle to create um, healthy culture and to make a difference in the world. And I think that's really the sense of where, where uh, the story of Josiah comes from is, you know, he's confronted with... Um, uh, a world around him that, that really doesn't understand him very well um, and also at the same time puts a lot of pressure on him to conform, to, to live a certain way, to be a certain kind of person in order to be accepted. And uh, Josiah really battles through that, which I think is fairly consistent for most of our young men today is we do face that battle to be ourselves rather than to conform to what others might expect of us. And um, we tend to, to kind of accept those expectations as being the truth of who we are instead of focusing on our uniqueness as a creation of, of God. And so 
by conforming, we, we actually lose a part of who we are. Wow, some powerful stuff in what you've just been sharing there because we might ask that question, what does Christian manhood look like? Because if we're going to be inspiring boys uh, through their journey to manhood, uh, they need to know what that looks like too. And as you say, Jason, the Old Testament and the New Testament filled with grand stories of transforming nations. And this is under God. This is inspiring stuff. We're going to continue our conversation. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our special guest is Jason Potter. We're talking about his new book, Josiah. But the conversation is about boys on their journey to manhood. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You can respond to that Facebook question. How do you think the youthful innocence of boys can be so easily crushed on the journey to manhood? You can find that question at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Jason, let's talk about boys because there's this sort of idea that uh, you give everyone complete freedom and uh, surely they'll be able to find their own way into a right way of thinking about their manhood. Uh, then there's this idea of how about we temper that direction with role models and and mentors and we can help to shape the future. I mean, freedom isn't necessarily freedom. People don't necessarily uh, reach the freedom goal that they thought they would when they have complete freedom. What are your thoughts for boys developing into manhood and the sorts of things that might help shape their direction? Well, I think uh, in my experience, and I have two sons of my own, um, if I was to use a bit of a metaphor to describe what I what I view about this, it's a bit like um, giving boys a paddock to play in. You know, we need a we need a safe place that has a, a few fences around it, but they should be a long way away. You know, we really need a lot of space and and room for young men to to work out how life works, and I think also to have positive ways to express some of the the energy and and passion. And uh, uh, the the drive that um, young boys and teenage boys have, I think our our culture focuses a lot on uh, on safety, um, and safety is not unimportant. But I think sometimes what we do is by focusing so much on safety, we limit the opportunity for boys to explore. I mean, when I was a kid. Um, you know, I used to climb trees. I used to run out in the paddocks. We grew up in the country. You know, Dad would take me out and we'd, we'd go out on... Uh, he was a, an agronomist, an advisor to farmers. Um, we used to go and do all kinds of things, ride quad bikes and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I think these days, um, a, a lot of what we're doing with, uh, with young men in particular is, is trying to prevent harm and keep them safe. And I think that kind of attitude at times, it's, it's not that we shouldn't have any boundaries, but I think sometimes the paddock is so small that, um, you know, boys and, and young men and teenagers are kind of banging up against the walls of the boundary a long time before they've really had an opportunity to learn and grow. So this idea of cotton wooling the boys for their safety uh, will have effects on them as they grow into manhood. 
this idea of being afraid that they might make mistakes. And uh, it's one thing to think about uh, climbing trees and uh, exploring around open spaces. Uh, but a lot of parents who might live in inner city will recognise there's all sorts of dangers on those streets, uh, sometimes mean streets around where our children are being raised. I guess you've got to be able to uh, to be able to discern what sort of uh, open spaces and freedoms you can give to your uh, boys, but you can't ignore those. You've got to create opportunities. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the world has changed. When I was a um, a boy going to school in the eighties, I mean, I walked to school in the streets of Melbourne from the age of five. You know, we don't we don't operate that way anymore, and it's not about being unreasonably unsafe. But at the same time, it is okay for for you to be um, sitting in the playground and have your boy, you know, a fair distance from you as as he plays on the playground, both physically and metaphorically, you know, in that sense of giving young people a freedom to explore the world a bit. Um, I think sometimes, you know, and I've I've seen this as a pastor in churches too, at times we, um, you know, we want to kind of, put our kids in that safe Christian bubble a little bit, um, keep them from being exposed to other people's ideas or other ways of thinking. But when we do that, sometimes what we do is we just give young men and, and young women, you know, the right answers to give to the right questions that they're asked, but they don't really own them for themselves because it's the only thing they've really ever experienced. And so I, I, I really think, you know, for people to own their faith and their beliefs and their understanding of the world, they actually really need to own them for themselves rather than just take on, you know, the the, the only thing they've really ever been taught. Well, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. If you'd like to contribute to our conversation, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. There's also that Facebook question: How do you think the youthful innocence of boys can be so easily crushed on the journey to manhood? Well, let's take a call. Simon is on the line from Rockhampton. Hello, Simon. Welcome along. Hello, Neil. How are you going? Very yeah. well, Simon. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Uh, I, I believe there's uh, two major ways I can be crushed. Uh, one is to do with pornography. Fortunately, I come from an age where it was very hard to get on pornography, but now it's just a click of the button. But the second also is, is what uh, um, the guest is talking about. Is I recently took some boys on a camping trip and uh, with my son, and and uh, I'm well, I'm getting 66 now, and I could do more things than they could do. They were just uh, very I didn't couldn't believe how soft boys are, <laughs> um, and and they were parented boys and and and, uh, and single parent boys. Um, but like this issue of safety, etc., they cannot cannot um, extend themselves, and and that's one thing a boy does he, if he doesn't extend himself and uh, and meet challenges and overcome them is. His ability and self-esteem is is a lot lower than it should be. I think that's how we how we get that way. Yeah, Simon, Being fabulous man. insight there. Let's get a thought or two from Jason. There's two two points there. Pornography is uh, it's like an attack on our boyhood, and uh, of course uh, these other things that uh, Simon's talking about. Uh, perhaps a lack of resilience, a lack of the sorts of skills that somehow earlier generations took for granted. This is the sort of things you learned and you became capable at. Uh, your thoughts here, Jason? Yeah, look, I, I agree, Simon. I think they're they're very good insights. Um, the, the whole issue of 
of pornography is one that's very pervasive in today's culture. Um, it, it's, it was pervasive in the culture that I grew up in too, in different ways with different technology, but it was still fairly easily accessible even, even when I was a kid. Um, and I, I think uh, how we um, approach the whole issue of sexuality for men and um, uh, around that is, is uh, sometimes we approach it out of fear rather than out of a desire to educate or encourage young men to develop healthily in this area. And so we know that um, in, in today's culture, it's almost impossible uh, to raise a young man without him having some kind of exposure at some point of pornography without our control over it. Whether it's a young person showing it to him at school, on an iPad or a, or a phone or a device of some kind, um, you know, your your boy, your child is going to see this at some point in his life, whether he even he has control over it or not. Um, and so what we need to be doing is actually teaching young men how to respond when they're exposed to this kind of uh, evil, basically. Um and, and that's a conversation we need to be willing to have as parents and as educators with boys from a, from a reasonably young age. I mean, as soon as your child is exposed to an electronic device, then the potential for them to be exposed to pornography is there, whether you have control over it or not. And I think, you know, it, it, it needs to be a conversation rather than an avoidance mechanism. I'm not saying at all that boys shouldn't be discouraged from seeing pornography absolutely they should it's very damaging and harmful um but you know it's almost impossible these days to prevent young men from being exposed to it i think the other issue is a is a really important one is that young men thrive when they overcome obstacles um and uh you know we we see this uh, men respond to challenges Uh, young men and boys respond to challenges in particular and, um, uh, you know, we have a bit of a culture that likes to avoid disappointment. Um, there's something I talk about with my boys, you know, um, my youngest has just turned 12 and he's now only playing, he's only just playing sport at a level where they keep score. Um, prior to this in his passion, which is soccer, um, the result of the game, they, they kind of was, no matter what goals were scored or no matter how much, that competitive instinct was there for the boys. They knew the score, but there was no official score. Nobody officially won or lost the game. And I think this kind of desire to avoid disappointment, to avoid that kind of emotional trauma, means that young men are growing up without the capacity to to actually deal with that kind of disappointment. Really good points. Okay, Simon. Well, thank you so much for your call, Simon. Uh, 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation and uh, you might like to answer to that question there, I'm asking on Facebook today, how do you think the youthful innocence of boys can be so easily crushed on the journey to manhood? Uh, You can find that at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Just a minute or two away from news. Interesting, uh, when we talk about boys on this journey to manhood, we might be asking the question, 
and perhaps a brief response for you uh, here, Jason. The idea, when is a boy a man in Australia? Uh, when he turns 18, gets a driver's licence, uh, when he graduates from high school, uh, when he moves away from his parents or when he can vote. Uh, any sort of, uh, is there a simple idea to when a boy is a man in Australia? Uh, I don't think it's a simple idea and I don't think those age transitions are the only indicator. I think the real indicator is responsibility. It's when young men are willing and able to take on the kind of responsibilities that we have as adults our capacity for independent thinking and independent decision-making with uh, responsibility, I think, is one of those key indicators. Uh, Jason, let me just bring you back to something you said a little earlier, the idea that boys need some level of autonomy, and what by that you seem to be saying they need freedom to make mistakes. And no doubt that means that we've got to have a graciousness to allow our boys to make mistakes. Uh, what are your thoughts here uh, uh, for the idea of mistakes being an important part of the journey of a boy into manhood? Look, I think um, it's true for all of us, um, but it seems particularly true for boys that one of the ways that we learn is actually by making mistakes. Um, and, and making mistakes um, on a journey towards something greater than ourselves. You know, boys will often seek to contribute to projects, to dreams or desires. You know, they, they um, uh, resonate, and girls do too, very much with the concept of team, you know, the idea that we're trying to achieve something together. Um, and I think uh, there's, you know, very much uh, a sense in which our culture today is trying to prevent mistakes. Um, there's a sense of, you know, need to... Um, create a, a kind of environment where um, young men are able to grow up without encountering disappointment, without, um, you know, suffering some of the the, uh, the fallout that comes from making mistakes. And obviously some mistakes have more consequences than others and there needs to be some boundaries there. Um, but we need to give people the freedom to fail and, and not at the same time create such large consequences that the fear of failure prevents them from trying. Freedom to fail, that's an important concept. You might have your own thoughts around this conversation today. 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Richard is on the line from Alstonville in New South Wales. Hello, Richard. Welcome. Uh, g'day, guys. Um, I, uh, I just had a qu- kind of kind of a... A bit of a description and a question. Um, a year or two ago, you had a um, young lady on. Um, um, she lives in America. She's an Australian lady. She's a singer. And she was talking about um, young African-American men and how it's hard for them in their society. And I wanted to relate that back to, in a way, do you think it's hard for, for young men in general? Because in, in the left-wing culture today, um, growing up as, a, like you say, as a, as a young boy or an adolescent or young man, um, because of all the this stuff with um, violence with with women and um, the other sex and, and and the left today, how young men are made to, you know, apologise consistency in a in a way for being for being a young man because women are the victims and. You know, young men are the um, the perpetrators, and there's kind of in society that can be, be portrayed as that way. Do you think? 
I mean, my question is, do you think that puts pressure on young men to grow up and know the risks, but not just not just know the risks? Um, I can hear what you're saying, flight. Richard, and uh, I think you're making a fabulous point. And uh, you were making a reference to Emma Mullings, uh, that conversation, uh, which, yep. uh, you know, in some sense uh, was a race orientation uh, to that conversation. We're talking here a gender and what people are describing as gender equality in the, the conversation here. And so many times when we talk about those sorts of issues, uh, like uh, boys being told to stand and apologise uh, for the wrongs that have been committed by uh, masculinity uh, over generations or through history. I mean, some of those sorts of things are crazy, and I'm not sure uh, how across all of those sorts of things you are, Jason, but do you have a thought or two for Richard? Yeah, look, um, I'm aware of some of those uh, stories. There was a recent example in a school in Victoria where a youth worker came into the school and stood up the the boys in the classroom, uh, particularly the white-coloured boys, and asked them to apologise for for uh, the sins of their their gender and their race. I, I think um, that there certainly is an underlying trend around these kind of issues that that has an impact on young men. I know my own boys are aware of that particular narrative. Um, I, I think at times uh, society operates a bit like a pendulum, um, and uh, you know our, our culture very much needed to address some of the the crimes and and, uh, challenges that have been perpetrated towards women in our culture over time. There has been um, a propensity um, for the majority of domestic violence to be committed by men, and and there is an issue there. But how we address that issue, I think, is the critical thing. And sometimes in our uh, the way society addresses things, we, we tend to swing the pendulum backwards and forwards a few times before we get it right. Um. And so I think there is certainly a an element to which um, young boys and men can grow up um, with a bit of a fear about how they're going to be perceived um, and how their actions are going to be perceived by others, and that can create a you know a bit of a, a limiting uh, element to their choices and decisions. Um, we know that in schools, for example, uh, in our school system, that girls vastly uh, outperform boys in uh, in um, academic results and academic achievement, both in particularly in high school and, and university, um, because our school system, uh, in in some respects, has become a place where um, being a learner. Uh, means learning in a particular way and learning in a particular context, you know, usually seated in the classroom. And that doesn't suit a lot of boys. Um, And the academic system that we have in place uh, really um, benefits one particular way of learning and one particular style of learning. Um, But, you know, at times can struggle to encompass all of what uh, the different... um, ways of thinking and the different dynamics that uh, young men have um, can, you know, can be uh, brought together. So, yeah, I, I certainly think there's some truth to what our, to what Richard is saying um, and the solutions aren't necessarily easy ones.
No. Richard, thank you so much for your call. And uh, listeners can contribute to our conversation, 1-800-316-316. Interesting to bring that idea of the pendulum swinging backwards and forwards. It takes us a while to often settle on what is a truth element when the debate swings from one way to another. Uh, One of the benefits we have in church life is that we have a revealed word from God when it comes to male and female, uh, coming back to the book of Genesis in the Bible. So we start at a very, very good and strong foundation uh, when we talk about those sorts of things. So this idea of uh, somehow rather working through uh, the essential equality and some differences between men and women and being able to then settle on uh, what makes boys strong young men. And I imagine this... Uh, Jason, that if the church had a way of raising strong young men, people would be beating down the door to come to church to hear what's being said. So there is a necessity there for people in church life to grapple with these things so we understand what manhood looks like. Yeah, exactly. And and look, one of the fascinating things is that when you do some of the research around this in terms of uh, evangelism, for example, we know that um, when... Uh, uh, the male person in a family. So we're talking here about a, a, um, uh, a traditional family structure with um, a father and, and mum. Um, if if the father is the first person in the family to find faith in Jesus, then usually about ninety percent of in about ninety percent of cases, the rest of the family also finds faith in God. When when a child finds faith first, it's around 20%, and when mum finds faith first, it's around 30%. So we know that there's a a key role that uh, men play in uh, shaping the the faith and uh, spiritual atmosphere of their families, which isn't about power or control or decision-making or any of those other things, but it's actually just about um, creating a space where where God's presence is, is part of the family structure and part of the family life. And so Absolutely. If we had churches that were doing wonderfully well in this area, I think we'd discover they're growing churches. And I think that's where the rubber hits the road is if you look across the demographics in Australia, and this is um, part of this is uh, National Church Life Survey research that shows that around 40% of our congregations Australia-wide are male. Um, but if you look at the growing congregations in Australia, we're looking much more at the 50-50 kind of level. And that's a really interesting reflection as well around churches who have a strong ministry to men, particularly to boys and teenagers, um, are actually congregations that are growing in our culture. And I think that's a, a really interesting indicator. Some listeners have been responding on our Facebook question today that asks, how do you think the youthful innocence of boys can be so easily crushed on the journey to manhood? And uh, Candice responds by saying, I believe societal changes such as equality has affected this sphere as well as gender fluidity without a strong picture of men within children's lives, not just at home, but within the wider society, boys are struggling with their identities. An uh, interesting comment there, somewhat in line with our last caller. Any thoughts for uh, those sorts of thoughts from Candace, uh, from Candace? Yeah, I agree. I think identity is a really critical thing. And, and um, uh, we know that if, 
uh, we look at how the Bible teaches about identity in Genesis. We know that our identity comes from every person being made in God's image and therefore being of equal value to God, that, that God's love extends equally to everybody, no matter their gender, their race, their social position, their socioeconomic status, any of those things. None of that stuff matters to God. Um, you know, it's it's an, an equality of identity. But I think one of the critical things that we forget is that that actually means everybody has equal value. And I think often when we get caught up on human rights, uh, human rights is often a competitive process. You know, so we have one person's right uh, that competes against another person's right, and the process of human rights is to choose which one wins. You know, without going into detail, we have, you know, the right to life of the child and the right to uh, for a woman to control her body. And there's these competing rights. When we when we approach it from a position of value, then that radically changes the conversation. If we say that every human being is of equal value, it becomes less of a conversation about rights. And I think for boys in particular, that's actually a much healthier conversation because in the rights space, um, men and, and young boys in particular often end up at the bottom of the pile. But in the value space, you know, we can actually approach it from a genuine place of equality. And, and if we get our identity from there, both intellectually and emotionally, it radically changes the picture. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Graham in South Australia. Or are you in South Australia, Graham? Whereabouts are you? Uh, on the Northern Expressway. Okay. Heading towards, in heading Adelaide. Towards yeah, correct. But you're a trucker, I, uh, I note here. And uh, what are your insights for our yeah. conversation today? Um, yeah, I think obviously boys are different than girls, um, but um, uh, my, uh, I'm uh, 70 now, but when I was in, uh, I think grade 6, when I was 10, um, my art teacher was a very smart fellow, and uh, he would get the boys in, more involved in making things, and uh, I think one thing he got us to make was a, a glider, and quite, quite a big thing, quite intricate and so on. But most of the guys just turned straight on for that sort of stuff, you know. I mean, I wasn't real good at mathematics or spelling, and <laughs> still not. But nevertheless, um, they are the sort of things that I think that really get guys interested. Um, and I know that with our men's group, there's another friend of mine runs another men's group as well, and um, they have uh, nights where they'll um, introduce guys to tools, you know, like uh, how to use this particular tool or how to use that one. And I think guys need that sort of a outlet to uh, help uh, build them in, in certain areas in their life. Well, Graham, great thoughts there. And uh, your thoughts, Jason, for Graham? Yeah, look, I, I agree. I think um, one of the things that reflects is that boys love solving problems. And so in that practical space, whether it's with their hands, with tools, whether it's... Um, in a um, in a an intellectual place, whether it's a sporting team, whatever the context is, uh, boys love solving problems. And so, if we uh, kind of protect them from experiencing problems and challenges, then uh, their capacity to solve them gets um, 
uh, underdeveloped. And I think that that's actually a really great space for um, for boys and young men to be exploring. Graham, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let's come back to uh, this idea that in church life uh, we might not be seeing the level of or number of role models for boys that are coming from the established men in our churches. And you might even call it almost like a role model hesitancy. How how do you see that sort of thing happening in church life, uh, Jason? I think that's partly true. Well, I think it is true, but I, I think it, it's partly the result of the image that we have of Jesus. I know when I grew up in the church, the image that I was taught of Jesus was of someone who was very meek and mild. You know, Jesus was the kind of person who was sitting on a on a rock or a chair or a ledge talking with people. He was walking. He had this special presence about him, but he was kind of meek and soft and gentle. Um, but I don't think that that's always the image that Jesus himself actually portrays in the scripture of who he is. Um, there, are, there are quite a number of stories of Jesus demonstrating uh, aggression in an appropriate way. Uh, for example, when he um, reclaims the temple and, and uh, goes and, and deals with the money changes in the temple, I think there are examples of Jesus speaking very strongly to people as well and, and actually appropriately speaking words of truth that uh, the people of his time found offensive. Um, and not that you know we should be encouraging boys to go around and offend everybody, but at the same time, there are moments when it's okay to be strong. There are moments when it's okay to actually um, use some of the drive that boys tend to have, um, you know, through the, the chemicals that are part of their uh, their makeup. And I, I think, you know, there are certainly lots of examples of, of Jesus um, as, a, as a great role model for men that create an opportunity for role models within the church to actually follow his example in how they lead young men in our congregations and, I think some of that uh, hesitancy can be around, you know, a disconnect between who I might think I am and, and the kind of picture I have of Jesus in my mind. It could also be that, um, you know, there's some reluctance now that uh, some of the previous bad practice in the church has been exposed. There can be a fear of, you know, being um, vulnerable to. Uh, being seen negatively as a result of interacting a lot with young boys. So I think there's a few challenges around that. It might be one thing too uh, for boys to be excited about the various images that we see of Jesus. I mean, when you start to talk about Jesus uh, with this particular reputation of uh, sitting on a rock and being gentle and soft, uh, you know, my mind goes to the book of Revelation in Revelation 19. Uh, where it's Jesus who's on the white horse, uh, whose name is faithful and true, and uh, in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head many crowns. Uh, Wonderful images uh, of Jesus, not gentle, soft, and mild, but also the warrior and the judge. 
uh, there's a lot of images that we have in Scripture and getting a balance on those, some that boys are going to be more excited about than girls. And, of course, there needs to, of course, be that balance because gentlemanness is about gentleness as a man too, and those sorts of things are going to be important. Stay with church, and we're running out of time here, Jason, but this idea of that question uh, I mentioned in the introduction, uh, you'd love boys, uh, whether they're from Christian or non-Christian homes, uh, to be able to read the book and get to a point where they are able to answer themselves that question, who is Jesus? Uh, That's an important element when you talk spiritually about the sorts of things you're writing about. Yeah, look, uh, for me, I think it's the most important question that anybody can ask themselves. I think as human beings, we all seem to want to answer the question, does God exist? That's kind of an essential human question that everybody seems to ask themselves. And I, I would say that as a Christian, God's created us in such a way that we're drawn towards asking that question. But once we answer that question in the affirmative, then the question becomes, well, who is God? And and what does that look like? What am I going to believe about that? And so whilst this story is, is not, um, it's, it's not written like a C.S. Lewis story as an allegory or um, as a uh, kind of a, a picture of the Bible, um, what it is, is based on the true story of a young boy who's really trying to work out what he believes. And, and towards the end of the story, has an encounter with God that helps him to understand and answer that very question, who is Jesus for him? And I think that's in today's culture where we're looking a lot at, you know, individuals working things out for themselves rather than just taking on the big picture story that other people have kind of shared with us. I think that individual journey, I'm hoping, is something that people will see their own story in, that they might be able to read Josiah's story and then actually see themselves in it and ask those questions for themselves. Well, so much more we could talk about on this journey from boyhood to manhood, but wonderful insights today, Jason Potter, and no doubt there'll be listeners uh, who won't be able to wait to get a hold of your new book. The book is called Josiah. Now, it's available and was launched on the weekend as a Kindle version right now, and you'll be able to get that from Jason's website, or from Amazon. The printed version is just a couple of weeks away. It'll be available at the end of the month. Jason's website is jasonpotter.com.au. jasonpotter.com.au. And Jason, Jason, just appreciate you and wonderful insights today. Thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with listeners today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.